Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, head of communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our chief Washington policy strategist, Brian Gardner. Brian, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Neil. It's great to be back with you uh, as we start an election season. Season three of the podcast. Yes, election year and season three. Our contract was picked up once again. It was. It was. And this I, I this coincides with our first full season leading into an election. Yes. Yeah, because I, really I, yeah, I moved on to the Stiefel platform just uh, at the end of September of uh, 2020. Um, yep. So uh, uh, I was on the KBW side um, doing similar work, but uh, we hadn't. We hadn't struck up a, a podcast yet on, on this, so this is this is our first full election season. And our first uh, full election season. Yep. And we're starting twenty twenty. I know we normally start off with sports, and we can get there, but we got to start off twenty twenty four. I feel like it's a broken record of where we ended, or at least came from part of twenty twenty three. With talk of a government shutdown, is yep. it going to happen? I think so. Um, so. There's a temporary spending bill in place, um, and it, it, it's a it's a different kind of spending bill. It's kind of laddered. So there are sections of the parts of the government that are funded until January 19th, other parts that are funded further until February 2nd. Um, and so negotiations have been going on since November uh, about extending that or getting a you know individual appropriations bills passed, a full year deal. Um, they haven't agreed to those top line numbers yet. And un- until you get the top line agreed to, then negotiators really can't dig in to see how you split up that money. So um, to me, it's it, it feels like a shutdown is very likely at this point. And, you know, Brian, I know we've talked about this before, but it's probably worth repeating. You know, the knee jerk reaction might be to think a government shutdown would be a bad thing for the markets. But history shows that's not always the case. That's correct. And, you know, look, during shutdowns, markets have gone down, but they've also gone up. And really, the last two extended shutdowns, the market rallied during both shutdowns. The most recent one, which is a long one, 34 days, started in December of 2018, lasted into January of 19, 2019. The market was up 10%. So, you know, I, I think investors need to take this all with a very large grain of salt. Well, we're going to be going into earnings season soon. We have a Fed meeting at the end of January. There are geopolitical concerns out there um, that that have been widely covered in the press. So what I think investors should be uh, prioritizing in their thought process are those events and not a government shutdown. Yeah, there's a lot that can move the market. Yes. The you know, look, the, look the, the market the market could go up, it could go down in the shutdown. My thesis is that it's not because of the shutdown, it's because of other factors. Right. But you could have a pile on effect if there's you possibly. Know, yeah. yeah. Well, well, something for us to watch, obviously, with those two key dates coming up. Now, in addition to the government shutdown, Congress still has a couple of other potential action items as well, no? Yeah, so the, the big one is uh, a foreign aid supplemental bill, um, which was proposed back in October, foreign aid, uh, additional aid for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, border security money. Um, that 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 hasn't been acted upon. Um, and that debate, uh, the, the, the parameters of that bill have kind of expanded beyond just money for the border, but actual changes in immigration policy. Um, 
There seems to be a consensus in Washington um, that there's going to be a deal on some kind of foreign aid supplemental. I'm not as confident in that view as as others. Um, there are just so many hurdles that need to be cleared before Congress can get a deal. Um, the, the immigration language has to be worked out. And um, there are conservative Republicans who um, probably think whatever negotiations come up with don't go far enough. Um, on the other side, there are progressives who don't want any changes in immigration policy. Um, so the wings of both parties are are going to uh, uh, to probably have been fighting hard against the deal or a deal not to their satisfaction. Um, the other is the Trump factor, that if an immigration deal um, is not sufficient, um, Trump will come out and bash it. And even Republicans who were in that, especially in the House, who were um, sympathetic to it or wanted to vote for it, um, they may be, for their own political survival, may be forced yeah. to vote against it. Yeah. Um, you know, and and then add in, you know, House Republicans have been growing in their resistance for more money for Ukraine. Um, progressives, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, he wants conditions on the aid to Israel. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts on this bill. Um, so, yeah, maybe they do get a deal. My guess is that the the amount in the aid is going to have to be reduced um, to to satisfy some, and then the immigration side is. I, I, I'm not sure what the what the sweet spot is there where they can get a deal and lose a couple of of members on the the fringes of both parties, but kind of keep a middle together. I'm not sh- I'm not sure that that's achievable, but we'll we'll see. Another thing that we could watch. So I left sports out of the top because I figured this would be a good transition. So in in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the football playoffs. And since the Giants and Jets, neither will be participating, you and I could spend all our time that first weekend focused on the other big event, which is the Iowa caucus, right? We have the official kickoff to to the campaign coming. Neil, I, I would argue that the Jets and the Giants did us a favor by clearing our calendar. Yeah. For it for January, uh, January fifteenth, the Iowa caucus. Right. It is now game on. We've been talking about the election for a couple of episodes now, going back to to last season. We have been. It, and by the by the way, it's one game thing, time now. It is, and one thing that the Iowa caucus uh, has in common with most Jet and Giants game is we sort of know how it's going to end before it even starts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, am I wrong? Are there any surprises that you expect? No, I mean, look, you know, um, Trump has had a large lead in Iowa, about 30 points. It's a steady lead. I don't I haven't detected much um, slippage uh, in his numbers. Um, It's possible that there's a late break, but it's it's really late now. So this this has to be a super late break. And 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 frankly, no one's going to catch him. Right. He is going to win Iowa. The question is. Can somebody, either Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, finish in a strong second and catapult them? Yeah, get some momentum. To, to, and take momentum to New Hampshire, especially for Haley, because she's doing better in New Hampshire. It's a state more suited for her. Mm-hmm. Um, can she overtake DeSantis? She's a couple of points behind him, but very doable. Um, but can she get even, not just finish ahead of him, but really draw close to Trump where she loses Iowa, but only single digits. And keep in mind, she's 30 points behind. So yeah, that would take a lot, a lot of to make 30 up. points in only two weeks. 
two weeks. Um, you know, can she shave 20 points off of that um, and get into single digits and then go to New Hampshire, win New Hampshire, and then go on? The problem is, even if even in that scenario, um, which I think is a long shot scenario, then you go to South Carolina, um, which her home state, but Trump does very well in South Carolina. His numbers are terrific in South Carolina. A handful of other states here and there until we get to the first week of March, March 5th, Super Tuesday, which is uh, just mother load of all of all yeah. uh, vote tallies, uh, uh, delegate tallies. I mean, and, uh, and a bunch of southern states, which are, is, is you know, the, the Trump base. Um, I think this could be over by early March. Sort of like the jet season was over. Yeah, the- you know, you, you know, not, <laughs> not, not, not even you know, you're hoping to be in the playoff hunt. Yeah, but you're you're done by the time you have your bye week. Now, is there anything? And I feel like again, we've talked about this before, but it does change a lot. So I will ask it again. Do you think there's anything that could potentially derail the Trump train to that not to that fast nomination? Well, to the nomination, no. Um, matter of, everything that goes on, you know, you're alluding to the court cases, right? Yes. Um, you're, you know, now we have kind of two sets of litigation. We'll put the, the prosecutions, um, four of them or so, and then the ballot access cases, uh, the Fourteenth Amendment cases. Um, and so on the on the on the prosecutions, no, there's that that only helps Trump. It doesn't hurt him. Um, the 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 um, January 6th case uh, being prosecuted by the special counsel, Jack Smith, that is set to go to trial the day before Super Tuesday, March. So on, on March 4th, um, now I'm, I'm skeptical they're going to start on time. But um, if they if that trial were, I mean, that's just a huge boost for Trump the day before Super Tuesday. It, it, it would it would freeze out all of his other uh, challengers in the media. Uh, they they would not get any any attention whatsoever. And it kind of there's a, a rally to the leader. Um, and, and the same thing can be said, really, for the the ballot access 14th Amendment case. Um, Colorado, we know of Maine. The secretary of state has uh, has said that that Trump won't be uh, on the ballot there. That's going to be litigated. That litigation has just started. The Supreme Court is going to have to intervene at some point. And uh, my opinion is that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Colorado. Um, and hold that Trump is allowed on on the ballot there um, for various reasons. You know, the reading of the Fourteenth Amendment and uh, and how that comes down. I I think that you know you have the constitutional issues, how you interpret the Constitution. You also have the policy issue. You know, does the court want to be in a position of keeping candidates off a ballot, especially the candidate yeah. of one of the two major parties? And you know, just. As an aside, Neil, some people are going to say, well, you know, it's 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 a republic. It's a conservative court. It's six to three. You know, keep in mind, I, um, you know, the Colorado case was four to three, but all seven judges in on the Colorado Supreme Court are Democrats um, nomi- uh, nominated, appointed by Democratic governors. So you've already had some some Democratic appointed judges voting along with accepting the Trump argument. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Supreme Court went in that direction, too, to have a, a more um, liberal leaning, a, 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 a more unified yeah. uh, 
decision. Um, and I think that's what the chief justice is going to angle for um, in Washington. Interesting. So one one last point on Trump that um, I wonder about, and that is if you're um, if everything plays out the way you say and Trump has a fast road to the nomination, um, what do you think that does in terms of a timetable for a running mate? Right. Because historically, we've heard about running mates in the summer as the conventions get close. Right. And that's kind of been where at the convention, the running mate is sort of officially unveiled. Yep. But the typically you don't have somebody sewing up a nomination in March, like you, you say here could happen. So I guess the question is, do you think that we then start to hear things about a potential running mate for Trump? Or do you think that's still? Well, I think we've already started to hear rumors and leaks out of, out of Trump world about who he would or would not choose. Um, there's been some speculation of Nikki Haley. Her name has been thrown around there. Tucker Carlson's name has been yes. thrown around as well. Uh, so I think we're going to be in for a couple of months of uh, of uh, of rumors, um, but I, I still think probably we um, there's not an official announce an announcement until right before the convention. You know, Trump likes the drama of it, and so I yeah. think keeping the public engaged um, and the the suspense of who who's in who's out, and then you know the. You know, it, it, it adds to the convention a little bit. It, it gives yeah. a little spark going into the convention. So I, I suspect we won't get a a, a name, on, uh, you know, an official announcement until right before the Republican convention. Yeah. I'm not really sure he he wants, you know, this, to share the spotlight for longer than he has to anyway with somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, look, there's, there's nothing to be lost by waiting. Yeah. It, it's fine. Um, well, speaking of waiting, you know, we've also talked in the past, Brian, or you have, about how some of the real power that the president, whoever that president has, is, you know, with regulators and, and um, uh, you know, getting regulation through as opposed to working through Congress, getting things done through regulatory action versus waiting for Congress to, to take some, some action. So I assume, even though we have no idea how the election is going to turn out, I assume that President Biden, like anyone in his position, would be pushing to get some regulations through uh, before the election, since we don't know what the outcome would be. A, do you think that's the case? And if it is the case, are there any, is there anything that we should keep an eye on in that area? Yeah, it's definitely the case. So there's something called the Congressional Review Act, the CRA, that gives Congress um, a process, a framework through which they can veto uh, regulatory actions. But there are kind of deadlines. Um, and I, I won't bore people with, you know, it's basically like a 60-day window. It's more complicated than that, but that let's keep it simple and just call it a 60-day window. Um, so basically... The administration has to finalize rules by sometime in the summer, maybe August, in order to avoid the CRA review if the Republicans were to sweep, right? Because if, if Republicans win both houses of Congress and they win the presidency, they can come back in January of 25 and use CRA to undo some of those regulatory actions that are, that are still alive in the C CRA framework. So you're gonna, we're going to get a flurry of regulatory uh, actions in the next couple of months. The SEC is going to be busy. They um, has a boatload of of items out there that have been out for proposal and they need to finalize. Um, one that we're probably going to get next week is um, action on a uh, on an application uh, for a uh, spot Bitcoin uh, ETF. Um, 
the SEC has had a climate disclosure rule uh, proposed out. Um, uh, so that's going to probably be wrapped up. Rules on SPACs, um, market structure. The, the SEC has a very active uh, agenda and they have to finalize a lot. So you're going to see a lot coming out of the SEC. The banking regulators have put a number of proposals out on new capital rules for large banks. Um, expect that to be wrapped up uh, or try to wrap it up um, by the, the middle of the year. Uh, the Department of Labor um, put out a, a revised fiduciary rule. That's going to be something that they're going to have to hustle to, to finish up before mid-24. Um, and then various parts of the Inflation Reduction Act. There are different tax credits, um, a boatload of tax credits in there um, and that um, need to be implemented by Treasury and the IRS. Um, and there's some some wiggle room on, on what those credits look like, how they're how they're enacted. And so um, that's also on the agenda. And, and that's just scratching the surface. There's there's many other uh, items out there. So understanding that, you know, not many people had the Baltimore Ravens as the Super Bowl favorite when training camp started and we're only in January and the election is in November. Maybe we end this podcast with your handicapping things as they stand today for both the presidential race and then also Congress, because you mentioned the possibility of Republicans sweeping all three. Um, so as we end today's podcast, where do you think we are um, in the congressional races and also on the presidential campaign. So let me start with the presidential race. Um, so with with the the caveat that we have ten months to go um, before election day, um, I think Trump starts twenty four as a slight favorite. Um, the Biden numbers are quite weak. Um, doesn't mean he can't recover during a uh, during a campaign. Um, the economy is key. Um, look, when when presidents have recessions during the two years prior to a re-election campaign, they lose. But if they avoid a recession during those two years, they've got a very good track record. And yeah. we're looking at slow growth, but not a recession. Um, so if if the economy outperforms expectations, you could see Biden's numbers start to recover a little bit. Um, and Trump's numbers come down a little bit as as the Biden uh, campaign tries to knock Trump down a peg. Um, uh, so so there's that. But I um, but I think I think Trump starts the year as a slight favored. Like I said, Biden's numbers are not good. He has there are problems in the Democratic coalition. Various groups are are dissatisfied with Biden. Key groups, and that that all is to Trump's benefit. Um, so yes, Trump starts the year as a slight favored. Then on the congressional side, we'll start with the Senate. Republicans have a slight um, advantage there. Um, Democrats are defending more seats than are Republicans, 23 to 11. That means Republicans have more pickup opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you can safely say the Republicans have already will pick up the seat in West Virginia where Joe Manchin is retiring. Okay. Um, and then they need to pick up one more elsewhere to flip the Senate. Um, uh, Arizona, Nevada, Montana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, those will all be competitive seats. And really, when you look at what Republicans are defending, they're not at risk. They're not at, at significant risk to lose uh, mm -hmm. any seats. I mean, their two most at-risk seats, which are going to tell you everything you need to know, are Texas, where Ted Cruz is running for re-election, and Florida, where Rick Scott is 
running for re-election. Scott in Florida typically wins by small margins, narrow margins, but he's going to have Trump at the top of the ticket. That'll help him. And the same in, in Texas, where Cruz is not the most popular Republican, but Trump will help him. So Republicans with a slight advantage to, to flip the Senate. The House, I suspect, is going to go along with whatever the presidential race does. Um, so if if Trump wins, uh, and, and again, obviously, I'm assuming that it is a Trump-Biden rematch. I mean, yeah. Um, but um, I, I suspect that Trump would bring a, a few extra seats along with him and vice versa. If Biden wins, um, the the House would probably go Democratic. In that scenario, you probably, you know, if Biden were to pull this out, um, you know, the Senate could still flip, but the House stay, House go Democratic and the, and the Senate flip to Republican. So you could still have a divided Congress for a, a second Biden term. Trump probably goes in with unified Republican government. Okay, so last question. Are you going to take the, I'm setting the over under at mm-hmm. 0.5 in terms of number of debates, no, number of presidential debates. Under. Under. So under. Basically under. Zero. Zero. Yep. Yes. Wow. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's, um, you know, uh, an unpopular opinion. I think a lot of people would think that. So you think we'll get through this entire election cycle with no um debates meaning between the two nominees yeah i i i don't think it's a good contrast for biden to be on the stage um with donald trump um i think the the age issue for biden um would be emphasized um uh so i think the biden campaign will want to avoid that even though Um, he's only two years older than trump right but perception yeah the perception is energy level right um and, you know, I, I think in a way Trump has given them an out by not debating Republican rivals. Yeah. I think the Biden campaign can pivot and say, hey, you know, look, you didn't you didn't debate in your primary. So why, you know, we're not going to debate you. Um, so I think it'll go something along that line. And um, I, I I'm skeptical there will be a debate. Well, they're welcome on the Potomac Perspective podcast anytime. Absolutely. I mean, we already have I think we have reached out to both campaigns. Um Oh. We could actually do maybe a town hall style where we keep them separate. Um, yeah. But um, no, we're, you know, we're open to, you know, we're, we're here to serve the public and yeah. whatever we do, um, you know, is, is, you know, to help the electorate make up its mind in, in November. I see this being a big blueprint, a big addition to blueprint. I like it. I That's like funny. it. And you look it, you know, uh, have we announced where we're going for Blueprint? No, I don't think okay. so. Okay. But I think we've announced. I mean, but, I mean, especially, but if, especially if it's a key state. Yeah. If then we, if it's a swing state, sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, everyone will have to stay tuned for that. I don't think we broke any news yet, but maybe. Um, all right. Well, that's all the time we have, Brian. Good stuff for our first episode of season three. Always Thanks, fun. Neil. Great to be with you. Happy New Year to you and to all of our listeners. Same to you, Brian, and I echo your sentiments to all our listeners. And we will see you in a couple of weeks with another episode of Potomac Perspective. Take care.